All right, if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Acts chapter 2? We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I just want to turn your attention again to a special series that we're in right now. It's called New in 42. And what we're doing is we are reading through the Bible, a portion of Scripture together as a church. We're reading the story of the early church, which we find from the book of Acts all the way through to Revelation. And we're reading through that together because we want to learn their story. As a part of our vision, uh, we as a church believe that God has called us to be changed lives, changing lives. That Jesus changed us and he's called us to go out and share that news. As we are doing that, uh, we want to become that church that we read about in the book of Acts, the church that changed the world. Because if we see uh, evidenced in Scripture what Jesus promised to his followers, then we should say if we are his followers today, then what stops us from doing the very same things? Jesus promised that the same signs would follow those that believe. And so we believe that together as a church, and so we are committed to learning that story together. In 42 days, a 42-day reading plan, you're able to read through that story of the church that changed the world. If you haven't picked up a book yet, you can still get one. We have a few copies left. This is the reading plan. It's all scripture, just uh, sorted out in chronological order. You can also get one of the bookmarks here that have the reading plan on it. You could check it off and read it in your own Bible if you would like. But as we've been going through it, we're already 12 days in and God's doing a great work. I hope that he's speaking to you and uh, don't get discouraged if you fall behind. Just keep reading and uh, take a day like today when it's a day of reflection to catch up some in that reading and I know the Lord will meet you in a special way. We also have many people involved in groups and I just know the Lord has been doing a great work there as you are uh, learning what it means to be in community and you're going to learn a lot uh, more about that and see how that comes to life in the passage today. Um, again, as we're going through this new in 42, we are not just reading God's word, but we are pulling out principles, attributes, characteristics of that church we read about in the early church, the church that changed the world. And there's some key indicators on what that church looked like, and uh, they really go alongside of some of the things that we've been talking about as a church. We feel that God has called us to be changed lives, changing lives, as I said. And back in January, if you'll think back with me, we preached a series of messages called The Changed Life. If we are called to be changed lives, then what does a changed life really look like? Well, this is what we believe the changed life to be, that we're connected to the body, we're hungry for God, we're actively sharing Jesus with others, we nurture spiritual growth, we're generous stewards, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and involved in discipling others. That's the changed life, a life that is being transformed day by day and looks more like Jesus than it did yesterday. And so the first step in that journey towards a changed life is what? Being connected to the body. Also, see last week uh, we talked about being empowered by the Holy Spirit as one of the key attributes we read about of the church that changed the world and we rely upon the powering of the Holy Spirit uh, just as we talked about with the changed life. So today we're going to talk about a miracle that took place inside of this, uh, this series of reading because if you're reading this far along in the story, you are seeing a lot of miracles taking place. And if you go through the book of Acts, you can see there are tons of miracles that will stand out to you. There are things that happen that just amaze you. And if I would ask you to rate those miracles, maybe you would, uh, you'd point to the day of Pentecost, right? The day where they are filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire fall from heaven. I mean, that's amazing, right? People are speaking in another tongue. 3,000 people come to Jesus in one day. That's a miracle. We look in chapter 3, and there's a man that was there for his entire life at the gate beautiful. And in one moment's notice, he's healed in the name of Jesus. 
That's miraculous. How many of you desire to see that happen in our day again today, to see God move in power like that? You read about the miracles. I mean, people that were dead are being raised to life. People's shadows are healing people because of Jesus and the power of the Spirit working through that time, and you long for that. We long to see the miraculous happening. Well, as we read through this story, there is an overlooked miracle that no one really considers when we read about this. There's something supernatural that is happening that if you don't pay attention, it goes unnoticed in the text. And it's something that Jesus specifically prayed would happen, and we see the evidence of it happening in the early church. And I believe it is supernatural, as you'll hear about in a few uh, moments, and I feel that it is essential for us to be the church that changed the world. Do you want to know what the miracle was that the early church experienced? Unity. Unity. Such a powerful sense of unity and connectedness among them. They were a connected church. The church that changed the world was connected to God and to one another. And why I say this is miraculous is because this is the very thing that is at the center of all that happens and flows out from the day of Pentecost is the unity, them being together in one place, in one heart, in one mind. That is supernatural because you know why we are people and if you put enough of us in a space for long enough and you apply a couple problems we will be at one another in a minute right we'll find faults with each other we'll take offense with each other we will need to forgive each other we will not forgive each other uh, we will do all the things that we shouldn't do as the scripture said and you read about in Galatians we will literally devour one another if left to ourselves right I'm not talking about cannibalism um now, with that, why we say it's miraculous is because if you just look at human nature and you look at the story of the church that changed the world, you can see pretty quickly that there are problems that come when people get involved. People have said to me, the church is great. Uh, the only problem is the people. Problem is the people are the church. The building isn't the church. The building is just a building. Uh, the people aren't just the problem, but it's our opportunity to experience exactly what God's talking about here because he did something supernatural among those believers. Why I believe that that unity was supernatural, why I believe it's something we need to pay attention to today is because we see time and again throughout the readings how people are being warned to be in unity and to maintain this kind of brotherly love and unity among them. Paul writes to this church in Corinth, who is a pretty troubled church. They have a lot of issues, and you read this week, uh, just towards the end of the reading, in chapter 1, he's talking to them, verse 10, here's what he says, the Apostle Paul. He says, I exhort you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, that you would be made complete in one, the same mind, and in the same judgment. Now, Paul is reaching out to them because they are not experiencing unity at that time. There are things that are dividing them. But Jesus prayed something very specific in, Acts, or in, in John chapter 17. This is before he went to the cross, before he died for our sins, when he had an opportunity to lift up his followers in prayer and pray that they would experience anything. It wasn't, he didn't pray that they would be empowered. He did not pray that they would experience um, a lot of favor among the people. He didn't pray for their protection. Here's what he prayed for in Acts chapter 7, or in, I'm sorry, in John chapter 17. He prayed that they would be unified, that they would be one. Because he knew their hearts, just like we know our hearts. And he knew that if they were not unified, then nothing would really come of their message 
and of the ministry that he was giving them, that they could only do it together, unified and connected to God and to one another. So after, in John 15, when he told them to remain in him and he would remain in them, that apart from him they could do nothing, he then prayed that they would be remaining in one another, that they would be connected and united by the power of the Spirit in them. Here's what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 20. And we need to hear this today because he didn't just pray on behalf of them. He even prayed on behalf of us. Jesus said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, my disciples, but for those who will also believe in me through their word. Guess what? Those that came to believe in the book of Acts shared the word. It has come down through generations and reaches us today. So Jesus prayed that we would be united, that we would be one. He says that they would all be one, even as you, the Father, are in me and I am in you, that they would also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. He didn't pray that we would be unified so everyone would see happy and smiling faces. Jesus didn't pray that we would be unified so that people wouldn't feel awkward when they came into the gatherings of believers. He prayed that we would be unified in this way so that the world would believe that Jesus was sent into this world for them. Do you realize that the picture of unity that comes through the early church is one of the key ways that the gospel goes out and brings others to faith in Jesus. It's amazing. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says this, that they had continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. If you jump all the way down to verse 47, it says this, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That as they were unified, as they were connected in this special way, the Lord was adding to their number daily those that were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It comes through this point of unity, through this point of connection to the body. Now in verse 44, it said this, they were together and they had all things in common. I want to talk to you about what true biblical community looks like through what they have in common. So we're going to look at three things that were held in common, and they are connection points for us to consider today if we are going to be the church that changed the world, a church connected to God and to one another. The first thing they had in common was they had a common purpose. They had a common purpose that united them. And we must, again, continue to remember that the church that changed the world was united in their purpose. They did not have many purposes. They had one purpose above all else. The church that changed the world was united to a purpose bigger than their own lives individually. Do you realize today that the church does not exist to fulfill your purposes? But you exist today, if you're in Jesus, to ultimately fulfill the purpose of the church. Now, some of you think that's funny because you realize that you really think the whole world revolves around you, right? You are the axis in everything. The universe spins around you. Um, that isn't the truth. And so often we get into that idea that we come to God and we say, Lord, I will say the prayer. I will call myself a follower of yours as long as I understand how it benefits me. 
And then I want to follow you on my own terms. And I dictate ultimately what I want out of this relationship. That is not the gospel and that is not the call of a disciple. No disciple, no student would sit and dictate to their rabbi what they're going to do. They don't dictate to their teacher and say, you know what, I'm going to obey you whenever it's convenient for me. But if we are now a new creation, if we have died to our old self, if what we read about in Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If that is true, then we don't live to have our purpose fulfilled. We live to fulfill the purpose God has for us. And I want you to know something, that the church here, we don't have a mission, but instead The church is the mission. The church is the mission of Jesus, that he had a purpose to win the world to himself. And he said, the way I'm going to do that is through the church, through the community of believers. It's not, as some have said, that the church has a mission. Instead, the mission of God, the mission of Jesus Christ to win souls has a church that fulfills that mission, that purpose. It's the highest purpose. It's the common purpose. And oftentimes we can think about it that we we as a church have many things that we do and many churches have many priorities and many different things that can take our attention. And we have events and we have activities and we have a lot of fun things. And I think about one church that was in the Atlanta area and that church uh, wanted to raise some money. And so they decided that they were going to make some fried chicken after services. And they started making chicken and they started selling the chicken and they started making some money. Well, before long, they were making more money selling chicken than they were in the tithes and offerings. Maybe people really liked the chicken they were holding back and buying it after service. I don't think this will ever happen with our missions empanada sales. And if it even gets close to happening, we will shut it down. Um, but, but what they did was they, they did something sad. They decided that they would fold as a church and they would just open up a place that sold chicken. And now there's a place called Church's Fried Chicken that was a church that decided that they'll now sell that. You know Why? They forgot their mission. Their mission wasn't to make money. Their mission was to win people to Jesus. And, and it's what people will call mission drift. It's what they'll call a drift in your purpose. When you at one point in time were doing one thing and then you forget why you exist and you start to do something else. And what we want to, to uh, continue to state in front of you, you hear it all the time, is why we exist as a church. We exist to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're not here for anything else. And everything else that we do could stop as long as we are still bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. That's all that we will ultimately be measured on at the end of this. It's not our bank accounts. It's not how nice everything looks. It's not all the different things that we have. It's that one thing. Do you have a common purpose, the purpose Jesus has called you to, to win people to himself. C.S. Lewis said it amazingly in one of his writings. He said this, above all, God is working in us and in one another, that we are like mirrors. We are carriers of Christ to other people. Usually, those who know him will then bring him to others. This is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. But the church exists for no other purpose but to draw men to Christ and to make them little Christs, to make them followers of Jesus. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, all the buildings, all the clergy, all the missions, all the sermons, even the Bible itself, it's simply all a waste of time. 
There's no other purpose. For this reason, God sent his only son into the world to die for us so that we could have the greatest news ever. And it's our job, our purpose as a church. And to be the church that changed the world, we need to have that common purpose. This is why we exist. Amen? There's no other reason. There's no other purpose for us. And there's something powerful that happens because in this life we become so distracted, don't we? We become so busy. And it can even get times where we can become so passionate about our own interests that we forget why we exist. And we have to remember we exist for one reason, to know Christ and to make him known. That's not just why this church exists, but if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, you now exist for that purpose as well, to know him and to make him known to others, to bring other people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's amazing when God just reminds us of that. There can be a power that comes when believers unite together around that common purpose. Now, a few years back, and this year, actually, this past week, on Thursday, was a very special and significant moment in Israel. It's a time that happens once a year on one day for just a few moments. And I had the opportunity to be there back in 2012. People riding down the street, wherever they are, this siren goes off, and I don't know about you, but in the, in the Middle East, if a siren goes off, I'm, I'm getting nervous. Um, and so this happens. A siren goes off, I'm on my way and I'm split up from the rest of my group. So it's just me and a few people. And as the siren goes off, every car on the freeway stops right where they're at. Everyone stops. People pull to the side of the road. And you know what happens? My driver just gets right out of the car. And then every other driver gets out of the car. And every person while the siren is playing is just standing in the middle of the road looking, closing their eyes, bowing their heads, complete silence. People are in the middle of phone conversations, in the middle of running to a meeting. As soon as it happens, they hang up and they stand there frozen. What this is, is this is Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel. When the entire nation, for just a few moments, stops and pauses. You could bring that down. That day was a powerful day. Because it's a day where this group of people in this nation, which you know if you watch the news, can be divided about so much, is united for just a few moments. They're united in their purpose that they will stand together and remember the six million lives that were lost. It didn't matter. There's nothing more important in that moment to them than that one common purpose, to stand and to remember together. And I was there back in 2012. It was a powerful moment it was a sobering moment. It was a moment to remind us of what happened, who we are. And for them, it, it was that rallying call that all of them would gather around, all of them would stand at attention for. They would not even remain seated. They understood exactly what it meant. And as I was praying and considering that moment this week, I was in a meeting with some pastors and some community leaders, and there was a few rabbis that were there and they were talking about this on Thursday because it was that day. And as, that, as they were remembering and sharing it, I just felt the Lord impress in my heart that that's also the, the job of the church. That's the rallying cry of the church that at the name of Jesus, at his voice, 
that we all would turn and we would all stop every other thing that we are doing and we would just turn our attention to him. We would remember for a moment that he has given us a calling. He has given us a mission on this earth and we exist for really no other purpose than to know him and to make him known. That common purpose was such a key attribute of the church that changed the world. They had no other purpose. They had no other ulterior motive. They just existed for that very reason. And we need to tap into that again, church. We need to remember that above everything else. The second thing that they had in common was they had a common place. And there's a lot of uh, sociology that's being done right now that is talking about the loss of what's called a third place, a third space. The third space used to be a place not in the middle of your home where that feels a little bit too private and just out in the street in the world anywhere where it feels too public. A third space was the front porch. It was the, the little covered porch that you'd have in front of your house. So you, you're not bringing someone in if they're kind of a stranger all the way into your home, but that third space is a place of connection, a place of sharing life together, a place where you could really get to know one another. And there have been many books that are written on this subject that talk about the, the falling away of the third space, that there is no longer the sense of community that there once was in America because of the diminishing of that place for people to connect, fellowship, and get together. They sit, now say that Starbucks and coffee shops and cafes fill that purpose as a meeting place, a place to come together and to connect with one another. But I believe that the diminishing of the third space is because we no longer prioritize community the way that we once did. And we can look today at all that we have, all the technology, all of the, uh, all of the money, all the resources, all of the excess, we have more than anyone has ever had at any point in history. And one could say that we are more connected with this device than we have ever been in the history of humanity. We can have access to anything. We can. We have more relationships that we can manage on this device than we could ever manage before. But here's what you need to know, that those relationships have become miles wide and inches deep, right? Right? I mean, there's no sense of relationship like there once was because the relationships have become so shallow, so disconnected. With all that we have, you'd be amazed to understand this stat, that there was a Gallup poll that was concluded and it was studying uh, all, different, all different nationalities and all different uh, countries around the world and they were looking for loneliness and fulfillment in relationships and they were going across the entire world looking, and they came to find out that Americans rank as the loneliest people in the world. We are ranked as the loneliest in the world. And we are so connected, we feel like. We feel like we have so many people at the ends of our fingertips, and yet we are coming back as the loneliest. We have more disposable income than people have. We have more technology. We have more opportunities. We have uh, more ability to travel and go anywhere that we want to, and yet we're lonely. You know why? Because our relationships aren't operating in the same way we read about in the story of the church that changed the world. We could say that we have so much more than this group of believers that we're reading about in the book of Acts. But when it comes to community, I feel we have so much less than they do. They experienced something powerful together as they united themselves. 
that church that changed the world, they were united just as we read about in 242. They were united around the word, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Do you know what they were doing? They were gathering together. They were continually seeking the Lord together. Verse 46, look what it says. It says, day by day, they were continuing in one mind in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were sharing and taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. For some of us today, it becomes too busy for you just to find time to eat a meal with your family because of the pace that life is going at. Let alone realizing, hey, is there any opportunity where I can get together with some other believers and invite them over and, and just share a meal together and just share life together? to pray for one another. Do you know what we normally say? Oh, I'm too busy for that. I'm too busy for that. And you don't realize what you're compromising, what you're sacrificing is something that God has created you for. We've been created for community. There's a longing because God has created us as a people and he desires for us to be connected to one another. And if your connection to the church, to the body of Christ, does not extend beyond the pew that you were sitting on, if that's the only way you are connected to the people around you is on a pew an hour and a half a week, then there is no way you will ever feel the reality of what God has intended for you as a part of the body of Christ. You're not experiencing the fullness of what God had in mind. Because we are meant to be a community, a family, a body of believers sharing life together, caring for one another together, sharing meal together. So I'm so excited about the groups that are meeting. And we have more groups now meeting than we may have ever had in, in the past years. And we are starting to see community growing among that group. You're seeing where group leaders that have been involved in life together, walking with another group of people that the only thing they have in common is their love for Jesus. They may not even know each other beyond that. But guess what? That's all that really matters in the end is our love for Jesus and that we belong for him. And they're growing and doing life together. And then guess what? If someone gets sick and is in the hospital, you know who's visiting with them? You know who's connecting with them? Who's calling them? Not just our pastors, not just leaders, not just a visitation team from the church, but they're very small group members. Do you know why? Because we're carrying one another's burdens. We're doing the things that God called us to. We're loving one another with sincerity of hearts. We are caring for each other when we know there is a need. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that we are called to carry one another's burdens. And when we do that, we will fulfill the law of Christ. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. That Jesus has called us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be in community together with them. And when we do that, we experience something beautiful. That's the body of Christ, caring for one another, loving, for one, loving one another, walking with one another, sharing life together. That's what connection to the body is really meant to be, that we share a common place, that our presence, it matters among one another, that we are present with each other more than just an hour a week. We get together and we share life together in community. It's gotten so bad in the world today. There's such a lack of community. It is dried up and we have become isolated and divided from one another. And that division and that isolation is having terrible impacts on our lives. It's gotten so bad where many people feel issues, issues of self-worth, issues of loneliness, issues of depression that come 
simply because of isolation, simply because life has gotten so busy and they've gotten so uh, run dry and, and burn out by the things that they've been chasing after that they no longer are healthy. They're not healthy in their relationships. They're not healthy emotionally. And so they'll go and they will pay even counselors to talk to them about this. And while counseling can help so many and has been a, a proven way of helping and, and walking alongside and aiding people throughout history, we have more counselors operating now than ever, not just because of rise in population growth, but we are seeing it because there is a lack of community and people sharing burdens. So you feel like you're all alone to the point where you have to pay someone to talk about these issues with them. Where the body of Christ, when we come together and we carry one another's burdens, we start to see God healing and working. Just you to know that you are loved and you're cared for can change everything. And so God's called us to that. And so some of you, you're suffering alone today. And you may even meet in a group and get together with other believers, but you're not willing to open your life up. You're not willing to share. And I want you to know that for us to get to that point, we need to be ready to hear those needs, ready to meet those needs, and ready to share those needs with one another. And when we do that, God begins to do a transformative work in us. So we're called to share common place, that we spend time together. We truly do. The final thing is that we share common possessions. And you read about this and you'd say, this is where the radical comes into the church that changed the world. Did they really do that? Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. It says that they began selling their property and possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. It doesn't say they were sharing them with some. It didn't say any, if anyone among that body of believers, they were caring for them in such a beautiful way. They were carrying one another's burdens and they were not satisfied. If someone else that was among them had needs that were going unmet, they wanted to do everything that they could. It was a mindset that was transformed. It was a shift that happened in their mind by the power of the Spirit. This is the miracle that happened. It overcame selfishness and self-centeredness. It overcame all that we have ingrained in ourselves to serve ourselves, to actually die to that and say, you know what, I'm here to serve others. What happened in the hearts of the people there was that they realized this one thing, all that they are, everything that they owned, it belonged to God. He is the giver of everything. He is the owner in that they are the managers. You need to know that as well, that God has given you everything that you have. You are not the owner of it, you're the manager of it. You are the one that's been called to steward it, to care for it, and to use it in a way that God would desire for you to use it. And therefore, when we do this, when we realize that shift in thinking, then we take on a whole different view of our resources, on what we have, on what we've been chasing after. So much of this life is about accruing so many material things. Having the right job, having the right house, having the right amount of money, having the right education secured, having all the funds in place where they need to be, and chasing after uh, career advancements and opportunities. You know, this story is all too common in the world that we live in today. You have men and women that have sacrificed so much to get ahead in their career have sacrificed their families and say, you know, I'm putting it off. I can't be there. I, I can't do this. And so many tensions that come up because of work or because of these other priorities. And they say, I'm just trying to make a better life. All the while, they get to the end, to the time where they thought they, the finish line they wanted to get to, they have the money, they have the house, they have everything in place. But guess what they left behind? The family. The family's no longer there to enjoy it with. 
and they realized everything that they strained for, everything that they went after, it didn't really matter in the end. So often we try to accrue all these things as if they are, they are the trophy, they are the greatest prize. Once you belong to Jesus, you realize he's the greatest prize. And everything else he's given you is really called to be used for his glory so others would know him and make him known. So have you asked that question? Lord, how do you want me to use my car? How do you want me to use my swimming pool? How do you want me to use my lawnmower? The extra cash that I have, Lord, how can I use it for your glory? How can I open my hand and open my life and, and really use it in a way that would bring you praise, bring you glory? We want to do that as a church. And we're praying about that. And in, in fact, next week, we're going to talk about that with you. In our business meeting, we're going to talk about that, that we believe God's called us to be asking those same questions as a church but we have to be asking those same questions individually as well. I'll tell you what, as I said this part in the message, I knew it would be a great challenge. And at the end of, I just want to share this quick story. At the end of last service, I'm standing out in the foyer saying goodbye to people. And one of our sisters in the church came up to me and said, Pastor, I, uh, I need a ride home. And I thought, well, I can't leave right now. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I just, you know, I just shared this message. I can't tell her, you know, oh, well, you know. Uh, what are you going to do? How'd you get here? But I'm thinking in the, that very moment, I'm like, you know what? This is putting that message into practice. Like, we're going to get her a ride home. And before I could even turn around, someone that walked by that overheard it said, hey, where do you live? I'll take you home right now. And, they, and she went right with her. Drove her right home. I don't even know if they knew each other. <laughs> but that's the body of Christ acting as the body of Christ. Not saying I'm going to be a little late to breakfast or whatever. It's no, what can I do to serve? Lord, how can you use me to serve someone else? Here's the miraculous, right? Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were in one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed anything belonging to him or own self, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was on them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for all who had, were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of sale and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as they had need. There was even a man named Barnabas, a son of encouragement. He sold a plot of land he gave. The miraculous was there was such selflessness, such a sense of care, such a sense of community that all that mattered was using what God has given us to serve others. That's the community God has called us to be. That's the church that changes the world. One that's so connected to God, so obedient to what he speaks, and so connected to one another that we unite together and we fulfill the purpose he has for us. Amen. Man, would you stand with me today? And I know that this has spoken to different hearts in different places. For some of us, you just need to realize what God's purpose is for your life. And I believe he's revealing that to you even right now. It's not for your own ambitions, it's for him. And there's others of you here today that you have been hiding, you have been alone, you have not come with your burdens and your needs. You have not opened yourself up to God or to others. Maybe it's because you're afraid. Maybe it's because you don't think that anyone would care. But I want you to know there are people that love you, that care about you, and that if we're the body of Christ, we're gonna carry these burdens together as the body of Christ. And so we wanna pray for you. We've asked Valley Forge, that choir and the group that's here with us today, they're gonna be lining this altar right now. They're gonna be lining around the building. They're gonna be lining the back walls. They, they have you surrounded, okay? And they have you surrounded for this very reason. 
Each one of them knows and loves the Lord. And we're a part of the same body together. And this day is a great way for us to put into practice what it means to be connected to the body. Is I'm going to invite anyone here that would need prayer today to step out of your seats and come up and let them pray over you today. Let your brother and sister in the Lord just bless you and encourage you with a prayer. Let them lift a need with you before the Lord. And let's spend these last moments as the body of Christ praying for one another's needs and being ministered to in God's presence. Amen. So as you're worshiping, just come out of your pews right now, whoever it is. If you just would like prayer, just walk right forward. Let them pray for you. Walk to the sides or to the balconies in the back and just come and get prayer right now. Come on, all of us just enter out of your pews and come on right up here and be prayed for.